just hope you stay down. But but they they went to 16th Street Baptist Church and they would just send kids out like 50 at a time. They'd arrest them kids. Then they sent out 50 more. They arrest them kids. Then they sent. But the kids kept they were coming as far as Fairfield and Belvin. They'll walk downtown, go to 16th Street, and just keep getting arrested. But they did this day one. Then they did it again day two. Then they did it again. So it went on for a while until every jail cell in Birmingham was full of kids. Mm. You see what I'm saying? I mean. Like that, as, right. So, but that's how Martin Luther King got his name back. Mm-hmm. He he was a one-hit wonder until the kids of Birmingham decided to say, fuck it, we'll go to goddamn jail. To make them high. But, but that's the thing. So we really don't understand. That's the magic of Birmingham. Right. So the fact that we got a youth that don't give a fuck ain't bad. Mm. We, we got to learn how to guide it. But they, you gotta understand, they were sitting dogs. When they put the hoses on these kids, the kids came back the next day in their swimsuits. Mm. Right, they was dead about it. <laughs> <laughs> like really think of the mentality <laughs> of the hoses. Like when they like, think about the hoses on them, right? So they sit the dogs in the hoses. So the next day they wore their swimsuit, bring the hoses. They was out there like nanna and the boo to the police. This For is real. Cool. This is real, real, real life. This is mob level. Only understand this. This is this is only the family here. This is this is real history here. What, yeah. what were you at? Were you at around this time? Around this time, what were so you? Like, keep in mind, no, 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 no. Okay, so I know the history. So I teach social studies. I was born in '72, so this happened like in in '50. Um, I had to look it up, but matter of fact, I'm gonna send you. It could have been '63. I gotta look up when they uh, when they assassinated JFK. But it's kind of like that happened. And then you got to keep in mind, after that happened, mm-hmm. the 16th Street bombing happened after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the president got assassinated after that. Mm-hmm. But that kind of sparked all that shit off. I hear what you're saying. So all the kids of Birmingham said, fuck that shit. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep coming out there every day mm-hmm. till all the jail cells is full. And they did until the police finally was like, we give, had to let all the kids go home. Is this a, like, the, that's how that worked though. The, the cat bull corner. That's, that's, that's what, 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 what that's uh, who was out there. Bull corner and all that. Yeah. That, that's the same time, mm-hmm. but that's how they did it. But when you, when you really think about it at a time, who can organize the youth, a youth that obviously didn't give a fuck. They walk out of, look, Literally, like Ed School imagine somebody come outside with a sign say it's time. Everybody just open the door, jump out the door. Teachers just turn their back, let it happen. Like I can't go out there with you, but I want you to go out there. Right. Like with nobody at school. Damn. That's cold. That's right. cold. Bla- was this 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 wasn't the time when when Martin Luther King wrote the letter? Right I'm, I'm I'm hold hold, hold up because the yeah. children. Matter of fact, it's it's a documentary called The Children's March. But uh, some of those people are, are, are still alive. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, like, look, my mom remembers not going down there, but some of her friends did. So you see what I'm saying? Like people, my, my mom is 74. Mm-hmm. So when my mom was, let me see, children, mom, 63. That was it. So nine years before I was born. So really, you see what I mean? Less than a decade before I was born. So it happened a long time ago, but Martin Luther King was killed what, in 69? I think my, my, my sister was born in 70 or something. So the civil rights movement didn't happen for me growing up 
a thousand years ago. Right, right, right. 10 years ago. Right. You see what I mean? That's what so I'm saying. So imagine, think about something 10 years ago for you. So growing up, it was like when I was five, that's 15 years ago. When I'm 10, that ain't but 20 years ago. Right. So it was fresh in our adult's mind. So by the time I got to college, you know, I could remember fighting for things that have manifested themselves on campus at UAB. Like when I was a student at UAB, we protested in March because it wasn't an African-American studies department, which is a class. Really? African-American studies department now. What year is this? What year is this? Around what time? I started UAB in 1990, so between 1990 and 96. Okay, between, okay. Between that window. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but that's also the year when I started UAB, the mascot was Beauregard T. Rooster. I was part of the campaign to bring the dragon back. The original mm. mascot of UAB was the dragon, then they went to Beauregard T. Rooster. Then the year I was there, they changed over to like this blazer warrior, but he got voted as the whitest mascot in college. So we protested it. They took that down, and then and then they brought the dragon back. They but I remember dragon, being man. a legislator and actually ordering buttons with the dragon on it to campaign to bring the dragon back, and now right. the dragon is back. Right, yeah, right, so right, I, right. I went to UAB during that time with a lot of shit. I, I'm looking at the results of it now. Right, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's the it's all about the legacy. You saying you saying they 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 really had a, a mascot as a rooster. It was Rooster, yeah. When I started UAB, Beauregard, you can Google Beauregard T. Rooster. That was the mascot of UAB when I started. And it looked like the San Diego chicken. That's what it looked like. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. That's what 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 yeah. what what are you um your your, your studies? What 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 are you uh around? So this I, time? I I studied uh, elementary education, early childhoods. I have a ba uh, a master's and a bachelor's in early childhood development. I actually went to the PhD program, but I didn't I didn't finish the dissertation. I got uh well, I ain't gonna talk about why I didn't finish, but I'm 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 a published researcher, but I'm I'm not a doctor. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, but I, so I do, but I try to study child development. I have an interest in the actual psychological development of just people, humans. So I kind of get into the psychology uh, because of um, Noam Chomsky. I don't know if you know who that is, but Noam Chomsky is a linguist, but he's also like a philosopher. He's written a lot of books, but he kind of wrote a book about like. Uh, what do they call it? Um, because he's a linguist and I study a lot of his work and then I started studying language and then I was rapping and then I've taught language arts. I wouldn't call myself a linguist. Like for example, when I was teaching English, I would tell my students, I'm not teaching you language arts, I'm teaching you the art of language. So you you, you so, was an English teacher, but but back to the- to Well, the, to I've the, been there, I've, I've taught every subject. So Dang. like I've taught social studies, I've taught math. Like I was really a very good, so I have a key to the city of Pine Bluff, Arkansas because of a math program that I was taught, something called the Algebra Project. There's a civil rights worker, really an activist. His name is Robert Moses. He actually wrote a book about this. Uh, it's called, I think, Radical Equations. But that's who taught me how to teach math. There's something called the Algebra Project. He's a transitional curriculum. He actually realized with his own kids that when they left just like regular rudimentary like math and went to algebra, they had problems. But that's because if you think about it in algebra, like you get the letter, uh, A or B or whatever, and those variables, but those variables represent something. And really, mm -hmm. if you think about a number, if you say two plus two, if you're not counting something, it's really just symbols like two things plus two things equal four things. But you're counting things. You're counting something concrete. Most of us, when we learn to count, you started with blocks or, or physical thing, right? Exactly. So when you get the algebra, then they throw these letters in here, but there's nothing concrete for you first. It's all abstract. 
And so you don't really have anything in your history thinking in the abstract on a mathematical level. So he created the transitional curriculum where we would take the kids on a trip, right? Just And when I say we'll take them on a trip, the first day we might get on the bus, we'll go to the zoo, we might go to McDonald's, we might go to the park, we might go to the, to the arcade, then we come back. But those stops are stops on a trip. And so the kids would get in the teams and they would have to basically make up a language with symbols to talk about what was the start of the trip, what was the stop of the trip, how many stops did you go, when did the trip stop? But because they made up their own symbols, by the end of it, just using their symbols, they can describe these trips and the number of stops and the displacement. But that translate to make it easier to do positive and negative numbers and integers. You, you, your mind will have been used to abstracting something from your physical experience and be able to talk about it in the abstract with just symbols. So then when they got the algebra, it made it easier to transition. That's why he called it the transitional curriculum. So we would teach those math programs in the summer to kids, uh, but he always had like a, a activist, civil rights type. The kids had to watch like Eye on the Prize documentaries and all this stuff to know, understand their blackness and how to organize because of what he figured out is if the kids learn how to enjoy solving problems together, when they're out in the community, that's the only way they knew how to solve problems together. So they would go out in the community and solve problems together the same way they solved the math problem in class. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, that's what's hot. So that's what we was doing all through the Southeast with the, uh, with the algebra project. So I was doing, I started doing that like in 97. So I taught math, also taught science. Uh, I was actually in, like teaching teachers how to teach science, teaching teachers how to teach math before I started teaching language arts or writing or whatever, but because of my writing and rap and, and lyrical background and because of real life poets, a nonprofit that I work with, with poets in the summer competing in poetry competitions and whatnot, um, that was a good thing to kind of work myself into and teach kids how to write. I focus on what kids do know and not what they don't know. And that's what poetry helps you do. Instead of focusing on how many words you don't know, I'm gonna focus on the words that you gotta make sure you master those to be able to communicate a thought. You're saying like a lot of times we say you have a low vocabulary. Okay, but you know some words, let's maximize that, right? Right. So so, so like for example, I have an activity where we do like six word summaries. So you would have to like, let's say you go to a movie and you have to give a review of that movie in exactly six words. So uh, the movie Get Out. So I'll, I'll summarize that movie. I think it's like black male friendship saves the day. So mm-hmm. them six words is why that movie is my favorite movie. Because at the end, his homeboy saved his life. Black male friendship saves the day. This is the same reason why the Five Heartbeats is my favorite movie, because at the end, they was all together. Black mm-hmm. male friendship saves the day. I like movies that had that thing. There's not many of them. <laughs> That's a fake. That's a fake. That's a big fake. But yeah. the kids will get excited about trying to think of six words to summarize something instead of writing a paragraph. But when you think about it, the point of language of being able to write is communicate thoughts. So they're, they're sharpening the skill of be able to communicate thoughts without focusing on all these words you don't know. You see what I mean? Like we think about Malcolm X, he never went to college. I think he had like a sixth grade education. But while he was in prison, he found a dictionary. He read and wrote every word and definition in the dictionary by hand. But just by reading and writing your own handwriting, it helps increase your literacy. That's also why I like to teach kids how to write poetry and rap. Because you can just think about how much thought you have to put into getting this line right, getting this line right. You're exercising what we'll I'll call your, your language muscles, right? Well, mm-hmm. that's making you more 
you know, literate instead of reading somebody trying to struggle through reading somebody else's book, who gonna become more literate? Somebody that's actually writing their thoughts out over and over with, with pen or somebody that's reading some books that's hard to understand? Who gonna become more literate? That's true. You see what I mean? So if the focus is on literacy, let's try to put the kids through activities that make them more literate as opposed to trying to focus on the number of words they don't know. But that's just me. You see what that's, I'm saying? That's just you. Right, right. That's that's how I look at how to solve the problem. Don't ask me though. So yeah. So after after college, after college, you 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 say you um you you go to Arkansas to do do. Well, do now listen. So I went to college. I graduated. Once I started teaching, that's when I got trained. We went to Arkansas. So I was already teaching when I went and did that. So well, I got trained. So I got a degree, and yeah, after school, I started teaching in Bessemer, and then my second year teaching. There was something called the algebra project and I went through the training and then I kept going through the training and ended up working with the program. Mm -hmm. But I was teaching when I was working with the algebra project. When, 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 when do you, you find this love for, um, for rap and, 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 and become like this recording artist and, and, and things of that nature? Like what's, what's the, what happens next in, in that, in that story? So, like, so when I was in high school, I was in the band. So mm -hmm. I was in a band like from the fifth grade on. So uh, Hooper T. Avery, may he rest in peace, but that's a Hall of Fame trumpet player. I did not notice at the time. But it, back then, jazz musicians found jobs as band teachers in schools. So your band teacher back in the day in Birmingham was really big name jazz musicians. So Hooper T. Avery taught me how to play trumpet. So I was taught how to play trumpet by a Hall of Fame jazz musician. I got a trumpet in now. So we was playing the trumpet, he taught me how to play the trumpet, but I'm like drumline. I don't really know my notes like that. <laughs> I know how to look at it, I know how to play. Right. Right. And we didn't have, he never brought us kid music. He was just bringing the music he had from the jazz band, whatever. So I was playing, we was playing, boo, 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 right? So when I got to high school, boom, I could play. I was in the band, I became drum major. So that's in high school, but we cut a jazz album in high school. When you so, say we, who was, who was we? The, we put together our jazz band. So our jazz band went to the studio and cut a jazz and we were selling tapes in high school of our jazz. I actually designed the cover of it and I played auxiliary percussion on that. Oh, I ain't even play trumpet on the jazz album. I played auxiliary percussion. I'm playing the bungos and the trees or whatever. So during that time, I also like fell in love with rapping with a band. I was the roots in high school. It was me, my girlfriend, we had a bass player, a drummer. We was in a talent show with a whole band, rap. Like we mm. just the eighties. You see what I'm saying? Right. So, but back then the adults was like, go to college, go to college. So once I got to college, that's when I started like paying for studio time, uh, making demo tapes. I actually got a rejection letter from Pete Rock. So they used to put the address and shit on the actual CDs. So shit, I got my my demo tape. I mailed it to people. I mailed it to everybody. Put the address on the back. I actually got a Soul Brother Records letter back. We are not, you know, thank you for your submission, but we are not accepting. What man, I felt like Hollywood had touched me. You know what I'm saying? Like right. they wrote back. They did yeah, right back. I didn't think they opened that shit. So I was <laughs> in. You were. You feel me? Yeah. But yeah, but that was like the '90s. So like from like '90 90 to '96, that's when I was in college, right? And so during that time, not only did I have demos. Like when Bill Bellamy came to our school as a comedian, I was the opening act, me and my homeboy. 
You see what I mean? So we had enough kind of buzz on college campus in the ends to be able to open up for a Bill Bellamy when they come or whatever. So I'm rapping in town. Matter of fact, I still got the trophy from a talent show. I, I won the UAB talent show one year rapping. So mm. rapping was, you know, I was you know, I was doing this shit in the 90s. So when I graduated UAB, the same year I graduated UAB, I had a record deal on Chip Records. On, so this on, is on who? What's the Chip Records? Chip. Chip Records. That's the record. It was in Bessemer, but Ricky Smiley was on Chip Records at that time. Mm. Yeah, Rick, Ricky Smiley first got big that went by. He had a song where he would be rapping like an Alabama fan named Buford. It was like, doom, doom, doom. My name is Buford. He had this whole little thing. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. those songs, his songs was on this Chip Record compilation. Mm-hmm. So it was Ricky Smiley, All Away, somebody named T Baby. It was other artists, but I was on it too. Uh, Attitude, Attitude was on Chip Regular. Attitude went on, like he didn't want a Grammy. Like, Attitude is, is, is a big deal, but Chip Regular at the time, that was it was the first year 95.7 was in Birmingham. So 95.7 came to Birmingham, and the way record stations, radio stations do, is they're going to latch on to a local artist to get the Everybody. city on their. Right, you're on their side. So, right. So everybody kind of, once I knew that was the play, because Chip Record told us, look, there's a new radio station coming to town. We want them to latch on one of our artists. Mm-hmm. We want one of our artists to be who they make, whatever. At that time, Auto Way was buzzing. They already had a big, but Red Light District ended up being that, that's who was playing on the radio all the time. That's mm-hmm. who had the hit. Mm-hmm. Red Light District. So look, look, at that time, Red Light District had St. Ives commercials on the radio. Like they was really the shit. At I got to I gotta do my research on Red Light District. Can you put us on? Yeah, for, yeah, like, yeah. What, what's, what's Red Light, like, was that a band? So, so the Red Light District is like Birmingham Wu-Tang. Mm, okay, okay, okay. So, so it started off with like, it's a guy named Black. Black ended up getting killed. Uh, but Patrick Johnson, one of the founding members, Black Boy, Vic Bell, uh, I know this dude named Rock, but it's seven, it's probably eight, seven, nine people in real life for real over the time that they, because it was cats to get in, cats to get out, somebody da da da. I was down before they was real life. Some people think I'm in real life, and in a lot of ways I am. <laughs> I've never made an album without a real life district member on it, either producing, rapping, or whatever. I've been on some of their albums. So we, we've never not fought with each other. You see what mm, I mean? Yeah. But yeah. But uh, but yeah, but Red Light District was big at that time. And so I was on Chip Records. So after I lost my Chip Record deal, I signed Chip Records as a group. It was a girl. She actually sings on my first and second album. Her name is Natasha Humphries. But she decided to stop singing and said she wanted to go model or whatever. But Chip, once he once she he heard that, he was like, rappers a dime a dozen. I signed the group. It's kind of like the Fugees. If it ain't the whole shit, I don't want it. So that's how I lost my deal. Mm. So that's 1996, 97. My first album come out to 2005. Mm. So all that time I got married, had a kid, and got a divorce, <laughs> still had the kid, mm-hmm. ex-wife in California, and I'm learning how to use this studio equipment at the house to record my first album. Mm. So I produced most of my first album, recorded it at the crib. But that one, like, it was, a, it was actually an award show at that time going on where it was ballots on the table at the restaurant and the artist's names was on it or whatever. That album actually won favorite album that year that it came out at the, at the dirty, I still got the wood hanging in the room, so it won. So once I came out and with what that award album, show? Dirt, the dirty? 
It was it was called the Dirty Thirties. The Dirty. I don't 30s. know why that name was that, but it used to be at a place called uh, the High Note Lounge. I actually oh. did a little short documentary on the High Note Lounge, but the High Note Lounge slash the Rocking Horse was kind of like where I discovered hip hop in Birmingham. So it was something called the Eargasm and Last Sunday Showcase. But on these days, everybody doing music was there. Mm-hmm. Everybody. So just imagine, I'm talking about people who come in from Tuscaloosa, people come in from Atlanta. So when they had an award show, everybody, everybody was there. You see what I'm saying? It was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so if you had like a video you wanted to have, you, people had screenings for their new music video, people would come out. I remember when I did it, I, I performed, I had Kenny, my homeboy playing sax live because he played sax on the first album. Top this is in 05? This is in 05? This is like 05, 06, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, 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 05, 06, because the album dropped in 05, but I was performing, you know, I was excited for the album he dropped. I'm out doing these songs, I'm out of the show. I got a new, I'll record a song tonight, try to perform it Sunday. What are we talking about? The album is coming. <laughs> right. So that's kind of what we was on. As soon as we record the album, we want to perform the song and let you know what's coming. Next so day. yeah, so that's what we was on, but that was a time it wasn't no CD burners. So you had to order CDs. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you had to, if you couldn't order 100 CDs, you couldn't get CDs. You had to order a minimum of 100. But it was kind of like the dope game, the real game. You mm-hmm. had to find stores that would let you sell your music on consignment. So you you would just come in and say, if I could leave 10 here, if they sell them for 10, they might keep three. You got seven, but now you got to re-up. So you had to go order 100 CDs, go distribute them out, maybe Tuscaloosa D store, Birmingham, whatever. Go back and check up. Okay, Rio, pick up the money. But that was the game. You see what I mean? Yeah. But you had to physically, you ain't had distribution. Right. So you had to physically order the CD, physically drive down into all these stores. So if you so think about it, if you get on the radio, if can't nobody go to the store and buy your shit, what was the point of being on the radio? And if right. your shit ain't already in the store for on the buy, it ain't no need to get on the radio. Right. So you just right. had to get all your CDs made, get them all in the store. Then get on the radio. Then they go, hey, y'all got that such and such I just heard on the radio? Yeah, I got that. Mm-hmm. Then you go do it. Hey, man, we need some more. We need to re-up. Okay, I put in another order. But you got to do that while you hot. Because you, you got to order enough. Like, what if you ordered 100? You only put 20 in this store. They wanted 50. Mm. You just missed 30 sales. So you had to learn where you need to put the most. Where's your demand going to be? How many can I order? But we had to learn all that. Cause right. you couldn't burn CDs yet. That's so when the, the CD burner burn. came out, it changed the whole game. It changed the game. <laughs> Damn. That's some real Everybody stuff. Everybody started bootlegging their own shit. What was the name of the album? The first album was called Ain't No Pillars on the Road. Ain't No Pillars on the Road. Yeah, cause it's hard out here on these streets. Mm. <laughs> what, was the, what was the motivation behind this now? What, what, hey, like, look, like, it's hard out here. Look, look, my wife has left me. I had my son. Mm-hmm. Look, everything, it, all my studio equipment didn't spend time at the pawn shop. You understand what I'm saying? It, it was, but I'm still learning how to do, like I'm learning how to record. I'll tell you fun fact about my first album. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to copy and paste. So every hook you hear, I had to sing it that many times. It was a raw hook. Yeah. It was a raw hook on all of them. But it, it's songs where I didn't harmonize on a song, but just think about that. I had to sing that shit like that the whole way through that bit. Right. There's no copy and paste for me. I had I hadn't gotten to that chapter and I wanted to get the song out. So I just knew how to record. I just record this shit however many times. Ain't no pillars on the road. Okay, oh, oh, 0506, this comes out, this comes out. 
What's next right. for you? What's, what's, what's next? Better, better than I can tell you is my second album. Better than I can tell you. Better than I can tell you. Yeah, I can show you better than I can tell you. Yeah. Once again, it's the Fugal Dunn dropping flavor cubes of new music on soup tracks like a boy young. But these words ain't wrapped in fall. You can tell the dirty underground by the smell of the salt. Many out here wonder who got next. The cats trapped in the game. Other pimps tricking girls for sex. It's the usual suspects. But watch how I maneuver. Matriculate through avenues until it looks a little newer. Y'all drop the same shit. I'm cultivating with manures. And Satan told us turtles, it's time to raise up out the sewer. Take your skills to the street. Defeat all who want to get some. Revenge of the nerds. Backpackers no longer victims. Even without a record deal. Look out, because it hits come. More entertaining than when Malcolm Jamal was on a sitcom. I make it feel better than when your lady make your kick dumb. Enjoy it while it's here, because when I'm gone, that's who you miss, son. So, yeah, that was that was the second. That's only the family. Only the family get that, man. <laughs> only the family get that. What, what You said better, better. Better, better than I can tell you. Better than, better I, can than I can tell you. Yeah, better than I can tell you. Damn. Yeah, yeah. So then I come out better than I can tell you. And what what that, year is this? What that, year is this? What year is this? It's like I think 07. Okay. I think okay. It was like two years later. So I think that's like 07. What's your mindset like, on, on this on this on this drop? So you gotta understand at this time, in my mind, I'm finna blow. Mm. Cause ain't nobody coming like this to me. And I think Kanye, Kanye had just came, like he he had maybe two albums in at this time. Mm -hmm. People like Mos Def Black and Bow Style came out in 99. So it's five, six years later, but it's most death still a thing. Uh, Talib Kweli just to get by. I get songs like this out. I you see what I mean? Yeah, so in my yeah. mind, city stages is happening. I'm on stage in city stages. So you see what I mean? You like, on stage? You on the, you, you did city stages too? Yeah, I did city stages, man. I did, like every music festival came through here. We would me. Uh, iteration of me, I either I put a band together for some. So if I'm on city stage, I'm gonna get a bass player, I'm gonna get a drummer, I'm gonna get a DJ, I'm gonna get a singer. Like if we on we outside, I'm bringing folk. Right, 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 right. It's right. gonna be me in a track. What are we talking about? You know, right. I was in the band in the wait a minute. How many people coming? Let's go. We're right. band rehearsal. City so, stages was legendary for the people that don't know. City stages was definitely legendary yeah. for definitely. Yeah, man. So yeah, so so every festival, whether it was uh, you know, they used to have Juneteenth Festival. It didn't matter if it was a stage outside because they was playing. So there were certain song shows on the radio where we'll do the theme song for. So like your, your local lady, Woo, uh, me and Constantine, we did a, her theme song. So every week, come on, they hear my voice. Uh, we did the same thing for like the Diamond Soul Experience with DJ Radu and Supreme. Right, you know that's theme song, but it was better than I can tell you. After better than I can tell you, I did what I call the Dad Two Project. So I was, it was when the Bam Fest, uh, Sharif Simmons, did something in Birmingham called the Bam Fest. B A A M it was like Birmingham Area Artist Music Festival or something like that. But it was at Rogue Tavern, and I just because I had got on, I wanted to have a band. So I put together had uh, Dave Johnson playing drums. Mario Leonard on bass, squeeze on guitar. And so we just got together and learned iterations of the song. Laura Luke actually came in and songs like a hook. And we had Constantine to do like the bebop. But we put our shit together, we just rehearsed. So I would record our rehearsals on the phone, send it to everybody just so we could listen to it. 
So mm-hmm. my homegirl Yogi was listening to it. She was like, where can I get that? I was like, yeah, that's just rehearsal. She was like, I'll buy that. I like for real. My homeboy Vic, he live in Georgia now, but he went to college for sound engineering. Mm-hmm. So he still had access to all the recording equipment. So I paid him a little gas money, whatever. He brought all the equipment over. And so we recorded the Dad 2 project in one take. He just mic'd it up and it's the rehearsal. We just went from the beginning to the end and recorded it. But that's what's on like that's on all music streaming platforms right now. But we did that like I think. What 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 do we look up on the on the title? Because I got title. What do we look up it under the dead? That is called uh Live from Malcolm's Reading Room. Because that's what we recorded it. (laughs) It was a bookstore downtown called Malcolm's Reading Room in the Masonic Temple across from the Carver Theater. Yeah. And that's what we recorded. That's what we used to rehearse. I'm seeing it now live from y'all. Y'all, y'all look like the uh, yeah, the Beatles. Yeah, the yeah, Beatles, yeah. yeah. We actually crossed the street in front of what is that? Uh, Third, the car Third, Third, did that shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Marika Johnson took that shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, cool. Yeah. That's cool. Twenty nineteen. Johnson is Pat Johnson's wife. Yeah. Johnson, Pat Johnson. Of a red light district. Of the real, red light. Okay. Exactly. Okay. But that's gotta, the photographer who took that picture. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's 2010. We did that. And it's it's a couple music videos out uh in that era. But we actually would have like, you know, album release party. We had like events. We, we but we was performing. We, you know, I had a whole band. You can't stop me now. What are you talking about? You know what I mean? I, I know one time we performed, we had like a horn sex, we had a trumpet player, sax player. The whole band, background singer, stop playing. Like, what mm-hmm. are you talking about? But everybody that was in the band, two things I think really happened. I'm gonna say this. If they ever watch this, y'all, this is why we ain't got a band. So to me, it's two ingredients that are necessary to keep a band together. One, everybody in the band gotta believe that the band can make it. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. So that's that faith. And the other thing you have to be available when the money can be made. So if the show is on Tuesday, you can't have choir rehearsal. If the show is on Thursday, like you gotta be able to go, every show ain't gonna be Friday night in time. If you really make it as a band, you might have a show Wednesday night in Seattle. What you gonna do? Say you gotta go to work? Mm. Or you gonna go do this show? And so that's the point. You can't make money as a band unless you tour, period. Right. So we was a band that couldn't tour, so. Cause everybody wouldn't go at the same time. Well, they, well, or they couldn't either. They tied down because of the job or because of prior commitment or because of whatever. So my whole thing is when I was in college, I was a legislator, but I worked on something called a programs committee. So every time you go to college, you have to pay something called a student service fee. But the student service fee pays for like the free concerts, the spring fest, whatever free activity the students go to, that's really what your student service fee is paying for. That's mm-hmm. why when I was in college, I went to everything because you pay for it already. Don't right. not go to the free shit, right. right? So the point of it is I figured out how colleges book bands. It's something called the National Association of Campus Activity. So the students, because, okay, let's say I had the programs committee this year and I graduate, it's somebody else here. And then when they graduate, somebody else. So they had to come up with a system that's foolproof for children to book through. You don't want to get took advantage of, the artist don't want to get took advantage of. So the way it is, is if you are an artist and you perform on campus at these colleges, you have to book through the National Association of Campus Activity. Like you can't book outside of it. 
So as a student, all you do is look in the catalog or look online, ask the band if they're available that week. They say, yeah, you tell them the fee, the school write them a check. So the band show up, whether it's one student there or a thousand students there, they get a check and they get out the van. So if you a band, that's how you want to tour college campuses. Because if you just showing up, getting a check, hopefully building your fan base at their different spring fest. It's always a band out there that ain't nobody never heard of. Think about it. If you in college, it's all, sometimes they get somebody big. They might get an outcast or they might get a whatever. But sometimes it's just a band or somebody coming on campus. They have like a somebody giving a lecture on campus you ain't never heard of that you can buy their book. You see what I mean? Yeah. But UAB may buy a hundred of those books already for the bookstore. So the author then sold a hundred books. Whether the student come on campus and buy right. So if an author, you want to go on the college tour, because the college gonna buy so many of your books. If you're a band, you want to go on the college tour because your money gonna be there. But also while you in town, you can book other shows at other events. So you may go, let's say you go to New uh Let's say you go to Tennessee, right? And you do like Tennessee State. But there's all kind of clubs right around Tennessee State that you can book the next day or the next day. So that's what you would do. So what I wanted to do, you can buy a membership to the National Association of Campus Activities and be your own agent. Mm. So pay the little fee and then we go on college tour, put our little thing in the catalog and go on tour and get these checks at colleges. Right. Right, like what's the what's the downside? Like I was doing this thing, so every time I explain this to people, I can't get off Thursday. Nigga, we go get this money. Right. So I can't book none if we can't go. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So so that's what happened to the band, and 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 not I'm not down. Everybody at a different stage at everything. So if you like a newlywed, or if you're going through a divorce, or if you just got this job. Everybody can't just be like, shit, I got faith we can make it. They kind of like, mm-mm, nigga, I got to pay rent. Right, right, so, right, right. So so the way you would have to do it is you would have to book so many of them in advance. We'll have to know right now, like, okay, so right now it's September. We need to already know what we're doing March and April. So go on, put the time in. We decided we got 12 shows booked. Shit, we quitting.